you, Pastor Joe and, and team. Um, I wanted to let you know that on the second weekend in September, I think it's the 11th, we will return to two Sunday morning services at, at 9.30 and 11 again. And so just if you're tired of being squished in here, uh, that, that will happen. And so um, just a reminder about that. We're looking forward to our fall. And we'll be starting a, a sermon series on the book of Acts through the fall as well, which we're also really looking forward to as we dream together about what it means to be the church uh, in this crazy time in which we live. So we're looking forward to that. One of the skills that I had to learn and was really difficult for me to learn in trying to be an adult was how to eat properly with other people. I grew up in a big family, and so it was kind of survival of the fittest. I claim that my long arms were kind of nature's way of helping me get in a competitive advantage on that last pork chop. And uh, if I didn't have long arms, I might have gone hungry. Um, also, I think when I started living on my own, my favorite way to eat a meal was standing up, looking out the window, shoveling as fast as I could. And that if eating a meal took more than a minute, I was just, something was wrong. So if it was breakfast, I could sit with a bowl of cereal, stare out the window, and do, and done. Then kind of wipe all the milk and uh, shreddy crumbs off my shirt. If it was toast, I could eat a piece of toast in about three bites. If you squish it up enough, you can get it in there, eat crumbs off the shirt, off. You're good. Why would you take any more time than that? Lunch was the same, and maybe it was because of the kind of low-grade, college student-like lunches that I ate, that it took hardly any time to prepare, a minute, 30 in the mic, and uh, maybe a minute to eat. And this was kind of my normal way of consuming food. And then, of course, um, I had to learn to eat at a table, sitting down with other people. And one of the things that I had to learn was to stop and enjoy the meal to taste the flavors, to enjoy the company and the conversation, to not keep thinking, what's taking them so long in eating and what are we having for dessert and what's coming next and all of those things. This was a skill that I truly had to learn. It's also a wonderful skill that we all must have as we read the scriptures. There is a temptation when we open God's word to jump in to try to find the meaning or the application or the message as quickly as we can, slam it shut and move on. I got it. I found it. I got the thing that God's trying to say from his word and now I'm out of here. I did the thing that I was supposed to do. When in actual fact, most of one of the great skills that all of us require when reading the scriptures is the ability to read it slowly, to pause, to pray, to read it again, to ask God to show you something, to pray, read it a third time, the same passage, and again and again, to develop this habit, not to burn through it as quickly as we can or say, oh, I think I got the meaning good, I'm good to go, but to take your time and to sit with God's word. Maybe listen to it on the ride to work, maybe read it at your lunch break, maybe read it before you to go to bed, get up and do the exact same thing. To, if you do this, God's word will come alive to you and speak to you in ways that a quick cursory glance, grabbing a word and being off to the races, will never really speak to you. And it's true in particular as we think about reading the parables, which is the series that we are still in. Yes, we are still in it just for a couple of more weeks. As we go through these parables, the temptation sometimes, and especially with today's parable, is to think, I know what this is about. Good, I'm good. I'm good. I got the meaning. I can move on. Next, what's on with the day? But this parable, I think the longer you sit with it, it holds some surprises for us. 
Today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. In my Bible, it's entitled, The Parable of the Pharisee and the Tax Collector. And immediately think, oh yeah, I think I know this one. I know what this one's about. I can go on my phone and check Facebook now for the next 20 minutes. Let me read it for us. But I want us to read it with the commitment to say, God, I think I've heard this before. I think I kind of know what this is about. But I'm willing to have you show me things that I might not see at first glance. Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Oh, we're going to have fun. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I mean, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth or a tithe of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now comes Jesus' commentary. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now this joke, or this passage, or this parable has almost a joke-like quality to it. There was a Pharisee and a tax collector, and they went into a bar. It, It kind of has that feel to it. You know, Jesus is choosing these two people who are extreme versions of how to live to teach us something really, really important. Tax collectors in this time were scrupulous crooks. They had a job that exploited people. It was financially lucrative. They were something kind of like a mafia boss, if you will. And if you thought of a tax or thought of a person that was probably no good, you instantly thought of a tax collector. Pharisees, on the other hand, were respected religious leaders. They were the spiritual and moral background of the countries. They were the ones that you generally thought of as a good person. So Jesus starts this parable with two people who are seemingly opposite in all ways that one could imagine. Seemingly lived extremely different lives. And he draws us into the middle, staring at one and then staring at the other and staring at this one and then staring at this one who seems so far apart. Now again, sometimes we can jump into a passage like this and think we've understood it and move on too quickly. I'm going to suggest to you today, maybe these two aren't as different as they might seem. And part of the brilliance of Jesus and his storytelling is to get us to see the similarities, not just the differences. And so I'm going to go through just some of the similarities at first, and then we'll talk about one difference in particular when we get to the end. First, they both go to church. Jesus says in his parable, two men went up to the temple to pray. They would have gone up with hundreds of other people, made the trek up the hill to the temple courts, and they would have gone, and they would have prayed and participated in a service. When we think pray, we think, you know, off by ourselves in a court and praying. This would have been corporate prayers, liturgies that they had memorized as kids, and they would have prayed together in the context of the temple where you go to have your sins forgiven and to meet with God. I'm guessing if you didn't know these people, you would not know to look at them what was different and what was the same about them. 
As you stand in the foyer on a Sunday morning and watch people come through those doors, it's hard to tell the difference, what's going on with people. You can see their exterior. You can see kind of from the outside, maybe they dress differently, maybe they're taller, maybe they're younger, maybe they're older. But what we can't see is what's going on underneath the surface, what's going on in the heart. You can't tell a deeply devout person from a person who's come here with an agenda and an attitude. You can't tell a person who's just committed adultery from a person that hasn't, from a person that's an evildoer, from a person who's faithful, from a person who's just robbed somebody, from a person that hasn't. You can't tell the difference by looking at them. And that's probably a really good thing. This is true of our church every Sunday. People come through these doors and we have no idea what is going on in their heart. The things that they have wrestled with this week, the experiences that they've had, the hurts, the joys, we have no idea as they walk through the door. And as fellow believers, this is such an important reminder to us to be compassionate and welcoming and kind. You don't know how people view themselves. If they feel comfortable being here, they think the roof is going to collapse if they come into this sanctuary. It's been a long time. I've got these questions. I've got these doubts. I've got this stuff in my life. And Jesus' point is that he's glad that both of them have come to the church to pray. Next, Jesus points that they both stand alone. Maybe they stood physically alone, maybe just kind of in their heart and mind they were alone, but they were off by themselves. And it's interesting to me that Jesus kind of says their physical space represents something that's going on beneath the surface. They feel different than other people. And notice how Jesus, so, so clever, uses different phrases to describe how they're standing alone. The Pharisee stood by himself. The Pharisee had high standards for the kind of people that he was going to hang around with. And he looked around the room and he stood with all of the people that met those standards himself. He had the right idea, he had an idea about what it looked like to be spiritual, what it meant to be faithful, what it meant to be godly, the kind of good kind of God follower that there should be in the world. And he looked around to see if there was anybody worthy of standing with him. But there was none. So he stood by himself. These people, the rest of the people in this room today, they aren't like me. They aren't as devoted as me. They aren't as spiritual. They don't take God as seriously as I take God. It's just me. And so I'm just going to stand here, over here, or in my own heart and mind and attitude in a room full of people by myself. Now, if you, let's be honest, let me just run some scenarios by you and see if any of these sound familiar to you. And you'll be amazed at how easily I came up with these. You see how they worshipped over there? Hands raised, clapping and yelling hallelujah during the announcements. I mean, seriously. You see that guy over there? I'm going to call a 911. I'm not sure he's got a pulse. He's standing there with his arms crossed, walking around the room like he's waiting for the bus. We're standing here singing the Lord's glory. Hmm, interesting. I bring my Bible every week. That guy over there, I don't even think he owns a Bible. Now, did you just see her? She just got up and got coffee in the middle of the service. The church I grew up in, the ushers would have tackled her to the ground and that would have put an end to that. <laughs> you see what so-and-so pasted on Instagram last night? Oh, interesting, interesting. You see what I mean? 
I could go on for another 25 minutes of examples, if you would like, of ways in which the conversations that are going on in your mind when you gather in a room like this, or the conversations that mark your drive home or dinner when you get home, are shaped. Look, I've heard of this so much since the end of the since people started returning uh, from the pandemic to in-person worship. Because when we worshipped at home by ourselves, we were with all the people that understood and did it right, right? And then I get back in this room with you people, you don't know how to do it right, right? And this attitude can deep sink deep into our hearts. I'm glad I'm not like that person. Hm, I'll never do it like they're doing it. That's not the right way to do it. And before we know it, we are like the Pharisee. We are by ourselves in our thinking about what it means to be part of the family of God. Now, when I read this parable the first time, when I was kind of working through it, I thought, that Pharisee's a jerk. I'm so glad I'm not like him. (laughs) And then I realized I'm more like him than I care to admit. And I've had moments in my life where I've thought, oh, they're so spiritually immature. They just can't get their act together. Look at that person over there. So glad I'm not like them. I'm so glad I haven't done what they have done. Which is why we keep coming back to these parables, not to read them once to get the quick answer and be off, but to keep reading them because as we do, God's Spirit infiltrates our hearts and shows us the things that at first we resist to see, but we need to see in order that we can be free. But that's just the Pharisee. The tax collector went to church too, and he also stood alone. And Jesus uses a different phrase to describe how he stands alone. Jesus says, this guy stood at a distance. The Pharisee was focused about what everybody else was doing and what everybody else had done and stood off to themselves. The tax collector goes in and realizes all that they have done and realizes that they need to stand by themselves too. The Pharisee saw everyone that was below them. I can't be near them. The tax collector saw everybody that was better than me. I can't be near them. No doubt the tax collector had watched people coming in the church and made up his own mind about each and every one of them, how they were all better than him. They were all more faithful. They all understood things that he didn't understand. I can't be near them. I can't be near them. They're all such better followers of God than I am. I can't be near them. My life is a mess, so I need to keep my distance. This is the standing alone of the tax collector. He was deeply aware of all the things that he had done, the people that he had hurt, and those reasons kept him from being apart and standing at a distance. He not only believed that he was not good enough, but he really believed if I told you what I did, you would want me to stand at a distance too. So they both come to church. They both stand alone. And they both pray. These two guys are starting to seem very similar. But their prayers are very different. The Pharisee prays a prayer to avoid God. Have you ever prayed to avoid God, to keep him at arm's length? In this case, the Pharisee uses I four times in his prayer. I, 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 I. This prayer is about me. God, I'm up on the stage. You're in the audience. Let me tell you what I have done. Let me tell you the things that I have done on your behalf or the things I've done that you've asked me to do. You will be quite impressed. The prayer was about him. He came to worship, looked around, and distanced himself from people. He came to worship, he prayed, and he distanced himself from God. God is here to observe and to applaud my righteous 
behavior. And when we are trying to avoid God, prayer is an actually an activity we can participate in quite a bit and make ourselves feel pretty good about it. I'm going to pray for all of you, all of your needs. It'll take up hours of my prayer life. I'm going to pray for all of you who don't even know you need prayer, but I see what's going on in your life, and so I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for the weather. I'm going to pray. Look. And I never pray and let the Spirit of God speak to me. I never pray about my own life and my own sin and my own brokenness and the things that are ravaging my life because I'm too busy keeping God at a distance through prayer by praying for everybody else. Which is the opposite of the prayer of the tax collector. His prayer is a life or death call for help. Now, the normal posture of prayer in this time is you would kind of stand, you'd put your hands over your chest. And for some of this, this thought is terrifying. He would be still. And you'd pray this way. But it doesn't say that. What does it say that he did? He beat his chest. Remember when Jesus crucified on a cross, it said they beat on their chests. This is the cry of someone who realizes there's something in my heart that I have tried to fix through money, through friends, through influence, through experiences, through all kinds of things, and it hasn't gotten better. It hasn't gone away. There's something in my chest that I must deal with, and I'm not going to stand here and just pray like a normal person. I'm going to beat on my chest because the prayer needs to come from my heart, and that's where the answer is that I need. And so he prays the most powerful, liberating words that any of us could ever pray. God, be merciful on me. I'm a sinner. God, be merciful on me. I'm a sinner. If you are stuck in your spiritual life, if there's something reverberating in your heart and you don't know quite what it is, the thought of coming here and just going through the motions and playing the games is completely unappealing to you. If you're looking for a breakthrough in your life, this is the prayer that you pray to get that process started. God, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to say anything. I don't ca- you don't care what I've done. Have mercy on me. The step forward will begin with God's mercy extended to us undeservedly. Now, those are all their similarities. So many. And it reminds me that as we come to worship, we may have lots of differences, but we also have many similarities in our life. But there was one word that kept haunting me as I was reading through this parable over the last number of weeks, and it actually appears in verse 9, and it's the word confidence. Jesus said that he was told this parable because some of the people in his audience had confidence in themselves, a self-righteousness, meaning that as they looked around, they would do what we have all done. I'm going to compare myself to you. Oh, my sins aren't as bad. Nice. Okay. So I guess I'm all right. Have you ever played that game? Oh, I come to church, but oh, whew, not as bad as that guy over there. Whew. I guess God don't need to do anything here this morning. I can go home. All right. Awesome. Good to be here. Have you ever done that? All of the language in this parable is about the Pharisee comparing themselves to other people. I'm not like that person. I'm not like that person. Here's the list of qualities of people. I am not like it's the language of comparison that gives birth to a confidence that somehow before God they are now in right standing. 
So Jesus says, you have a choice when you gather, when we gather together like this, we have a choice. We can come on in, do the math, compare my list of sins to your list of sins and say, oh, good, I'm not as bad as them. Yes, I'm out of here. We have had a great time together in worship. Their wrongs are smaller. The people that they've hurt is longer. I can keep, I'm just doing better. My injustices are not as bad as their injustices. My problem's not as bad as their problems. And we can be tempted to go home and think, we had church today because I'm not as bad as that person. Or, as Jesus so powerfully and beautifully says about the tax collector, he went home justified. Now, justified is a powerful word. It will change your life. To be justified means that God looks at us and it's as if we have never sinned. That if I was to get out a book today and write all the things that I have done wrong, and it would take more than a book. It would be many, many pages. But because of the gift of Christ and the mercy of God given undeservedly to me, I can be justified, meaning that the righteousness of Christ gets layered over all of my list. And when God looks at me, he no longer sees my sins. What he looks and sees is the righteousness of Christ. And then he looks at me and says, it's just as if you've never sinned. And you are justified now before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what Jesus wants to offer to the people in this parable. You can compare yourself to other people and go home feeling good about yourself because you're not as bad as them, or you can go home justified. Which would you prefer? And it's not meant to be a close argument. And the same is true for us today. It's completely possible to come here today and to sing the songs and to pray the prayers and to look around and kind of evaluate ourselves compared to others and leave here and miss the grace of God and be unchanged. But the opportunity exists for each of us here today to say, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I have no claim to the grace that you would extend to me whatsoever. And that Jesus would layer over us his righteousness. And God would look down and say, boy, oh boy, he's never sinned. And we would have justification through the gift of Jesus Christ to each and every one of us. It starts with the simple prayer that Jesus has outlined here. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you'd like that today, you can pray that. I'm going to give you the opportunity here in a second to leave here not feeling better by comparison, but to leave here feeling free of guilt and shame and knowing that you are a child of God and that that sin will not come back to be held against you at any other time. It's been dealt with once and for all. And you can leave here justified today. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us because there's no other way. We can't buy our way out of this one. We can't work our way out of this one. We can't schmooze or impress other people out of this one. We are sinners. And the only way for us to be right before you and justified is through confessing that we are broken and sinful people and it is your mercy that would grant that to us. And so today, maybe, we've been standing here alone in church. 
And maybe we've been standing here alone because we're just kind of looking around and, well, nobody quite meets our standard. Or maybe we've been here today and we've been standing alone because if people knew, if people knew, God, each can come today and receive your mercy. Lord, today maybe we have made a habit of coming to worship and just kind of looking around the room and thinking, you know, I think I'm doing better than most. Help us never to be content with that attitude, but to long for the clarity of justification. Lord, have mercy on us because we are all sinners. We are all in need of your grace and your mercy. And we pray this in your name.